Hello, my rebels. Hey, I make an observation today, and I show you some charts. Um, we've got some serious gun crime in Canada, not as bad as in the States, I'll grant you that. But Toronto has exceeded New York City for murder rates. What do you think of that? Um, but here's my observation. Why is it that the media never blame Justin Trudeau for shootings up here, but they blame Donald Trump for shootings down there. I go into it a bit and show you some stats. Uh, before I do, though, could you do me a favor and consider becoming a premium subscriber of The Rebel? It's eight bucks a month. You can get a bit of a discount if you type in the coupon code PODCAST. Just go to therebel.media slash shows. And um, why would you do that? Well, you would do that. You get the video version of the podcast. Pretty cool. I'm extremely handsome. Um, you get access to other shows like Sheila Gunn Reads and David Menzies, and you get the satisfaction of knowing that you help us pay the bills uh, that makes these programs, including the free podcast. Okay, here's today's show. You are listening to a Rebel Media Podcast. Tonight, the Canadian media blames Trump for U.S. gun crime. Why don't they blame Trudeau for Canada's gun crime? It's August 7th, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Look at this headline from last year in the fancy-schmancy Toronto lifestyle mag called Toronto Life. Toronto's homicide rate is now higher than New York's. You know, Toronto always compares itself to New York City, which will always result in disappointment. But this time, Toronto's inferiority complex was finally overcome. You've got a better chance of being murdered in Toronto than in New York. That sentence would have been inconceivable back before New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani cleaned up the crime in New York in the 90s by respecting and empowering the police and siding with citizens against gangs. So... New York is getting safer, and at the same time, Toronto's Mayor John Tory has presided over a police force that is becoming demoralized, that is being told to turn a blind eye towards low-level street crime and higher-level crime, beggars and squatters and drug dealers for starters. So yeah, congratulations, Toronto. Now, the last full year for which we have statistics was 2018, the year Toronto finally beat New York, but over the weekend in Toronto, whoa, did Toronto ever take a great leap forward if by forward you mean more gun crime? 17 shootings in Toronto over the long weekend. 17, that's incredible. For Toronto, I mean, for Iraq or Afghanistan, that's just sort of normal. Now, I, I chose that story in Global News, pretty much at random. It had four reporters uh, working together. That's a lot of reporting firepower, especially these days. Yet they managed to report the story without once criticizing Justin Trudeau. And that's probably the right thing. I mean, you know who you can blame for crime? The criminals. Is there a policing problem? Maybe. Maybe the chief of police has some answering to do. Maybe the mayor. But, but what would you even blame Justin Trudeau for? Perhaps if he let in the criminals through his open borders immigration plan? Maybe. Or if his weakening of our criminal justice laws had let a repeat offender back on the streets? Maybe. But we don't have those facts yet. But in general, why would you blame Trudeau? Other than, I suppose, in the most general sense, Trudeau is in charge of public safety. He even has a department named that, run by the least incompetent cabinet minister, Ralph Goodale. But something is wrong 
I suppose it is wrong. There is someone to blame because Toronto is breaking records for shootings again. 244 shootings so far this year. Here's historical records of Toronto shootings, courtesy of the Toronto police. They have very detailed stats, very meticulous. I'm not blaming Trudeau, really I'm not, but if I were, I'd point out that while shootings in Toronto declined every year in Stephen Harper's last four years as Prime Minister, they've increased every year under Trudeau. In fact, they've doubled. Now, I'm actually not blaming Trudeau. The blame is wider spread than that. But I mention that because the Canadian media, which never, not once, blames Trudeau for massive gun sprees in our own country, immediately blames Donald Trump for gun sprees in the United States. Isn't that odd? Every single media outlet in Canada has gone nuts linking gun crime in the United States to Donald Trump. I'm, I'm talking about Canadian media now. I'm not even talking about U.S. media. So the exact same Canadian reporters that specifically do not blame gun crime in Canada on Trudeau do blame gun, gun crime in the U.S. on Trump. How do you do that acrobatic trick? Even when the killer is anti-Trump, hates Trump, such as the mass shooter in Dayton, Ohio, who was an Elizabeth Warren Democrat, who proudly retweeted Democrats, who was an Antifa left-wing activist. You could probably call him the first Antifa murderer, but, but it's all on Trump. Have you even seen a reporter ask Elizabeth Warren about him? Again, I don't blame Elizabeth Warren for the Dayton, Ohio murders. I blame the murderer. But if you can blame Trump, why can't you blame a Democrat who is a hero to the political murderer? Well, the question answers itself, doesn't it? As you may know, uh, the CBC state broadcaster has set up an election time war room, and they have been using that to attack Andrew Scheer and Maxime Bernier. Well, they deployed their war room in the wake of the Toronto shootings to defend Ralph Goodale, to defend him, not to criticize him, and to gently nudge him towards more gun control, as if gang-style shootings, uh, who are already using illegal guns and using them illegally, as if more laws on paper would stop them, more red tape. It's a joke. Goodale and Trudeau have no idea of what to do, any more than most U.S. Democrats have no idea what to do. But the CBC's there to make sure that the Democrats and the Liberals are comfy and to tuck them into bed nicely. They save their rage for Donald Trump. If I had to assign blame, I'd blame the shooters. But perhaps the politician with the closest nexus to the problem is the mayor of Toronto, who also shapes police policy. Here's the hapless John Tory. The mayor also emphasized his call for a handgun ban in the city, a message he's been touting since last year. Really, at the root of this is people carrying guns in their pockets and feeling that they're at liberty to use them, even when they're in the most trivial disputes that you have every day in your life, he said. That's, that's really, that's a weird thing to say. Um, but it, it's already happened, shooting people. It's, it's extremely difficult to get legal handguns in Canada. Almost no one can. There are I think there's probably fewer than 10 concealed carry permits in, the, in all of Toronto, if even that many. All of this uh, misconduct in Toronto on the weekend, it's, it's already, I don't know, illegal in half a dozen ways, let alone the actual shooting. Adding another paperwork crime layer isn't going to stop a gang member from shooting. Let me quote John Tory one more time on the state broadcaster who love him. He has no idea what to do, clearly. 
and therefore he can have no plan to do what he doesn't know what to do. He's helpless and pitiful as he is on most things. He has no knowledge or experience actually solving problems about crime like Rudy Giuliani did. Giuliani was a prosecutor who went after the mob. Um, John Tory has weakened the police. He doesn't know what to do. I've certainly come to realize, and I think most people do as well, there is no magic answer to this. And so when this kind of thing happens in a concentrated way, it's very frustrating, very angering, and very sad, and, and, and uh, bottom line, unacceptable. Now imagine if that's all Trump had said. Hey guys, sorry, um, uh, but it, you know, this, this, it's really unacceptable what happened, and uh, yeah, that's all I got. Oh my God, that would be a ferocious feeding frenzy. But Ralph Goodale and John Tory say those things, and the CB says, come here, you big lug. Let me give you a kiss, you guys. And the Globe and Mail is pretty much the same way, too. Here's their editorial. Yes, Canada already has a solid regime of gun control, including prohibitions on certain high-powered and high-rate-of-fire uh, weapons and the screening all purchasers must pass. The current gun control rules work and contribute to lower violence, but... They could work better and do more. That's, that's the best they got. It's pretty clear that the guys at the Globe and Mail know about as much uh, about guns as they do about oil or wheat. They've, they've seen it on TV somewhere, and then there was this great article in the New York Times, I remember. Let me just copy that. In other words, making handguns legally unavailable, I'm quoting them again, will not cause the crime rate to plummet overnight, nor will it lead to an abrupt collapse in the murder rate, they admit. They admit they have no clue because they've already done, we've already done in Canada everything they say that we should do and it's not working and they have to say something. I, I think I know what's happening here. In, what do you think of this theory? In the United States, the left hates guns and the right, I don't know if they love guns, they love gun ownership, the right to have guns. And it's a culture war between left and right. In Canada, we do have plenty of farmers and ranchers with guns and some aficionados in the city who like Target practice, for example, some folks do have a gun for home defense, for feeling confident, but not that many. We don't have concealed carry permits in Canada, many. And, and it's just not that big a part of our political conversation. It's just not in Canada. I'm just making an observation. So railing against gun crimes, especially gun crimes clearly committed by street gangs in Toronto, it's really not going to demonize the Conservative Party. Because Canadians know that that what happened in Toronto, is, it's not a gun problem, it's a gang problem, uh, it's a policing problem, and I've shown you none of the liberals in charge have a clue of what to do. No one in the liberal media elite does either. I mean, there's not, there's not gang shooting problems around the farm where everyone has a, has a gun, but they do know one thing. If they blame Trump enough, talk about Trump enough, focus on Trump enough, people might forget that Canada is running aground, and the people we count on to fix our problems in Canada, well, they have no bloody clue. Stay with us for more. Welcome back. Well, uh, uh, Justin Trudeau was at a pride parade where he often is during the summer and he was asked about the mass shootings in the United States and he actually gave a very pleasant and thoughtful answer showing his solidarity with the Americans who had been shot but then in a bizarre pivot he moved to blame I think his conservative counterparts he was asked about a mass shooting in the United States and he ends up by denouncing Canadian conservative politicians as being in league 
with haters, implying perhaps even in league with mass murderers. Here, judge for yourself. Take a look at this incredible clip. Uh, obviously, today, uh, need to start with a uh, uh, reflection on uh, the terrible uh, attacks in the United States. Uh, we are grieving for the families, and uh, of course, we stand with our American neighbors uh, as they work through this difficult time. Well, I think we know that, unfortunately, there's a greater and greater polarization uh, in uh, politics, uh, not just uh, around the world, but in Canada as well. Uh, and that's why it's so important that we all stand together in moments like this. We're standing up for human rights, standing up for communities who are marginalized, who uh, continue to suffer a greater degree of hate crimes and, uh, and intolerance than, than other communities. That's particularly why I'm glad to be here uh, walking alongside uh, you know, a number of party leaders, including uh, Jagmeet Singh and Elizabeth May. Uh, this, is, this is important that it, it shows that we are standing unequivocally in favor of human rights, in defense of Canadians. Uh, it's just unfortunate that there are still some party leaders who want to be prime minister uh, who choose to stand with people who are intolerant instead of standing with the LGBT community. Just incredible there. He talked about Oh, there's some awful people bringing greater polarization. We need to stand together against intolerance. All of us together, except that bastard conservative party who loves hatred. Oh, my God. And I think he got away with it. Joining us now via Skype is our friend Andrew Lawton from TNC.News. Andrew, good to see you. Did I overstate or misunderstand that? He was asked about a mass shooting in America, and he ends by, I think he was blaming Andrew Scheer or Maxime Bernier, I think. What happened there? Well, I think uh, Justin Trudeau has been watching too much of that old Friends episode where Ross is trying to get a couch into his apartment and has to yell out, pivot, pivot, pivot every three seconds. Hmm. I think he has had programmed into his mind, pivot to calling everyone a racist, pivot to calling everyone a bigot, pivot to talking about diversity being our strength, and he does it even when he's giving a response that ostensibly is, or at least should be about offering a sympathy, thoughts and prayers to our, our greatest ally, our, our neighbor to the South. But this is not new. And I think the juxtaposition of this response from him coming in an answer that was supposed to be about sympathy for the United States is one thing, but it also comes a week after Justin Trudeau proudly proclaimed that his campaign, his reelection campaign, would not be about wedge politics or division, that it would just be on, we're going to put our positive liberal vision forward and Canadians are going to vote for it. And it took a matter of days for him to then switch that to, we're just going to name call the other side. And by virtue of Andrew Scheer not marching in the parade, he is, in our view as liberals, standing with intolerance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's the best interpretation of what Trudeau said. I think there's also a case to be made, maybe it's not the right case, that he was linking Andrew Scheer to what happened in the United States as well. I mean, I, I don't know. Either way, it showed the polarization. You recently wrote an article about this on TNC.News. Your headline was, Trudeau says no to wedge politics. Really, all he does is wedge politics, whether it's feminism, calling other people misogynist, homophobia, which he, called, he was implying that Andrew Scheer was homophobic, Islamophobia, he calls anyone who criticizes immigration Islamophobic. I think that's his only card. I mean, he's got the marijuana legalization card he can play. But other than that, I really don't know what Justin Trudeau stands for in 2019, other than calling his enemies names. 
One of the big problems we have in politics now is that the age of the big tent party is, is going by the wayside. The liberals want everyone in the liberal party to think and feel the same way, which has been great for the conservatives, because it means that there's no room for a pro-life liberal anymore. There's no room for a Catholic liberal. There's no room for a moderate liberal. It's always just Justin Trudeau's liberal brand. Whereas the Conservative Party of Canada has always tried to be, as we often hear at the big blue tent, which means you've got your blue Tories, your red Tories, your libertarians, your social conservatives. That's the theoretical approach that the party goes for anyway. But what it really is saying here is that Justin Trudeau is trying to drive wedges between the conservative factions, basically. So when he tries to make abortion the discussion, he's trying to drive a wedge between the conservatives and the electorate and also between various sides of the conservatives. When he talks about Islamophobia, he's doing the same thing. So when you look back at the last almost four years now that Justin Trudeau has been prime minister, uh, the entire agenda of his government has been about these wedge issues that he now says he's avoiding. And when he wants to run on name calling and really trying to do the whole deplorables routine, which is just call certain people in Canada different names, lump them into different groups and so on, he is actually embracing the very form of politics that he claims to abhor. And it's not just him, by the way, it's his whole government. Ahmed Hassan, who has called critics of illegal immigration un-Canadian, mm -hmm. uh, has now been caught on tape making a couple of bold claims about the conservatives. Number one is saying that they want to restore a nation in which Islamophobia is okay. That's his word. But also he says that the conservatives dance with white supremacists. Now, I don't know what Andrew Scheer means in Cherokee, but I don't think it translates to dances with white supremacists. <laughs> and I also think that Justin Trudeau's India trip shows us we shouldn't have uh, our leaders dancing at all. I, I don't like that. But the idea that Ahmed Hassan can so brazenly say that Andrew Scheer dances with white supremacists and that the conservatives are a party that wants to impose national Islamophobia, how can they say they're running this on a positive vision? They can't. Yeah, here, let's take a quick look at Ahmed Hassan making that insult. Take a look. Just about having rights, but also exercising your responsibility. And in an election year, one of the main responsibilities is what? To vote. All I vote and vote for the right leaders, the real leaders that will bring you together, not divide you, not dance with the uh, with white supremacists, but actually bring people together. You know, I find it incredible. Uh, Ahmed Hassan is someone whose life, if we were to believe him, was saved by Canada because he came to Canada applying as a refugee, claiming he was in grave danger back home. We saved his life, and not only did we do that, but we opened every door to him, including to be an MP and now a senior cabinet minister. And he says that he, I mean, he says this repeatedly, in, in tweets, in, in press releases, in statements, I think he's a bit of a racist himself. He, he calls old stock Canadians racist. He, I, I can't help but think that he hates something about Canada because he sure calls Canada and Canadians names. And I'm sorry, Andrew Shear's a lot of things and I criticize Andrew Shear a lot myself, but he's not a white supremacist. And to say that, I don't know who would possibly believe that other than other new immigrants, other Somalis, other Muslims who would say, oh, my, the most successful Somali in Canada, the most powerful Somali in Canada is telling me I should hate conservatives. So I guess I should because I should trust 
the leader of my clan here in Canada. I mean, I don't think any white old stock Canadian would believe that Andrew Scheer is a white supremacist. I just don't believe it. But maybe if you're a new immigrant, maybe if you don't know who to believe, maybe you say, oh, geez, I'd better stick with the liberals because the other guys hate me. I think that's what's going on here. They're trying to scare their own grievance groups into sticking with the liberals. One of the longstanding realities is that liberals think they have a monopoly on the so-called immigrant vote. And this is not to say that immigrants are a homogenous group, but the liberals try to do this all the time. They tried to do it through Harper, and it tended to backfire because most uh, you know, law-abiding immigrants in Canada actually resonated with the conservatives on more things. So I have to think that this will in some way backfire on the liberals and that Canadians, new or lifelong Canadians, will see through this. I mean, as for the claim that Minister Hassan is a racist, I don't know if I'd go that far, but I would say that he's ignorant. I mean, how can someone who literally is the embodiment of a Canadian dream, a Somali refugee who is now a cabinet minister and the immigration minister, how can someone like that claim that there is a, a deep-seated Islamophobia or systemic racism in Canada when he has had an opportunity afforded to him that many Canadians born in Canada would never have. So it's certainly ignorant and reeks of ingratitude. Uh, but beyond that, it, it's just bad politics and it's insulting to Canadians that you have this unity, unity among the liberal elites in Canada to just denigrate and demean Canadians that disagree with them on key issues. Yeah. You know, uh, I agree with you. There were many, I mean, Ahmed Hassan, I, I studied him fairly closely when he first uh, was elected, and I found a very interesting presentation he made when he was a private citizen to Canada's parliament. And he actually said, Andrew, and I should dig this up again, he said it's better to be a Muslim in Canada than in most parts of the Muslim world. He said you're freer here, you're safer here. I, I saw that testimony, I'll, I'll send you the link to it, I'll post it below this video. He, he basically, it was a love letter to Canada. I thought, boy, this guy, what a model citizen he is. So he was praising Canada as one of the best places in the world to be a Muslim. So a couple of years now, later, what's changed other than he's with the liberals now, and his job yeah. is to smear Canada as haters. Yeah, and no, I haven't seen that speech, but assuming it is, as you're relaying there, that Canada is a better place to be a Muslim than most of the Muslim world, it is completely contradictory to the narrative he's putting forward now that Islamophobia is a clear and present danger and a threat that the conservatives are uh, putting forward. And I mean, I don't know the timeline on this, but it stands to reason that the conservatives were probably in office at the time because they were there from 2006 to 2015 when he was elected. So he was saying that a conservative Canada conceivably, or at least a Canada that would elect a conservative government is somehow uh, safe for Muslims. But now a few years later, uh, Canada is this bastion of conservative driven Islamophobia. Yeah. I, and that's what irritates me is that you can, it's like calling America racist. Well, America elected a black president twice. So how racist is it? Because of course, America, only 12% of Americans are black, obviously a lot of non-black Americans voted for Obama, uh, including in the South. Um, so it, it's a bit much for the most successful Somali you can point to in the country to say that the country's racist against him when his own existence belies that. And he himself professed a love for Canada 
until I think he was assigned his role. Uh, his role is to scare black and Somali and Muslim Canadians away from conservatives. Um, every different grievance group in cabinet, their job is to terrify and scare people away from conservatives by demonizing Canada as a hateful place. I think Justin Trudeau is a divider in a way that the media have covered up. Stephen Harper, ironically, was a uniter. The biggest unifying thing he did, for example, was utterly take away any energy from the Quebec and Western separatist movements. Um, Justin Trudeau inflaming Western separatism, inflaming ethnic separatism. My last question for you, Andrew, is why is the mainstream media letting him get away? Is it because he's so calm about it? Like that pivot at the end there where he said, oh yeah, we're all here being tolerant together, except for that bastard Andrew Scheer, who's a white supremacist. I mean, that, I'm paraphrasing obviously and exaggerating, but the media just said, yep, yeah, okay, yeah, we, we absolutely are listening to you, Justin Trudeau, with any pushback whatsoever. You even seeing articles in the CBC and McLean's and places like that that are credulously repeating Trudeau's pledge to be a positive campaigner, even as he smears his opponents. Where's the media on this? Well, the media was still writing its story about how Andrew Scheer was a big old homophobe for not going to the Pride Parade in the first place. I mean, the media's narrative was pre-written. It didn't matter what Trudeau said. They had already determined their story was about how Andrew Scheer's absence is evidence of homophobia. Well, I find this infuriating, especially since I know in the case of Amin Hassan, and I'll have the link below, that I know he used to say, and I assumed he meant, that Canada was a pretty great place. Of course it was. We saved his life. And now that, that angry, angry tone, calling anyone who disagrees with him a hater or un-Canadian, Trudeau did that to him, or maybe he did that to himself, but I don't accept it. Andrew, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you. As always. All right, there you have it, Andrew Lawton. He is with TNC.News, True North, our friends over there, many great rebel contributors, including Candace Malcolm and Anthony Fury. Stay with us. More Head on the Rebel. Welcome back on my monologue yesterday about crazy Kim Campbell. Betty writes, Trudeau has no new talent to choose from. He has to fall back on Kim Campbell. Yeah, I really don't understand that appointment. I mean, Jean Chrétien was already far too kind to her giving her that plum position in L.A. as Consul General, which was basically a four-year party with Hollywood stars. Not, not the A-list, but the C-list at least. Why, why is Trudeau doing Is it so that he can say, oh, I'm nonpartisan. Look, I appointed a conservative who's hardly conservative. That's my theory, is that he didn't appoint her for her competence. He appointed her because she's as crazy and left-wing as he is, but he can say, oh, no, 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 I appointed the conservative former prime minister. I'm very nonpartisan. Paul writes, this crazy woman has set herself up as Canada's number one social justice warrior. This is insane. She sounds just like one of Trudeau's acolytes. Yeah, um, but even like some of the kookiest Trudeau zombies out there, Catherine McKenna comes to mind, even they have someone around them saying, calm down. Like, remember when Catherine McKenna did that crazy um, drunk uh, sorority girl video from a, a pub in Newfoundland. Oh my God. I don't know how that got up, but some grown up took that down. Remember? There's no grown up around Kim Campbell saying, easy, easy, sober up, here's some coffee. There's no one doing that. 
And so there's no governor on them. There's no limits. That's the difference. Kim Campbell is the pure id of the Trudeau zombie, but there's no brake pedal. It's only gas. Karen writes, Campbell couldn't make it as an elected official, so she found some other way to pull strings, stay public, and get paid for it. Yeah, I called her a grifter, and that's exactly what I mean. I mean, she is a lawyer by profession. How about just go and practice some law and have some dignity? No, it's more fun to party in Hollywood on taxpayers' expense. On my interview with Joel Pollack, John writes, Joel had a good point. With more freedom, you accept a certain amount of risk. The challenge then is to reduce that risk as much as, as possible. That's right. That's the, that's the trouble with choice and freedom is the risk that comes with it as opposed to the certainty of the misery of authoritarian regimes. Well, folks, that's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at the Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night and keep fighting for freedom. Mm-hmm.